Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy all all of you are here. And those of you watching online, thank you for that. It's great to see all of you guys. We're in a series, as you know, uh, where we're asking the question, is my life being transformed? God has a plan, a design for your life. We've said you're not an accident, you are an incident. God has a purpose. In fact, you and I are immortal until his purpose with us on this earth is done. And so, so many people have trouble really connecting with their creator and connecting the dots of what they're here to do. So the series is really designed to help you kind of dial that in and realize that the purpose of God in our life is to move us from where we were to where he would have us be. It's so that we can come into a realization and a fulfillment of everything he intends for us to be and do while our time here on the earth is being spent. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, am I being conformed more to what I used to be, or am I being transformed in more of what God would have me be? In fact, in Romans 12, to you see really the text for the series where Paul says, look, don't do this anymore. Once you've connected to your creator, there's a power within you greater than the pressure around you, so you don't any longer have to be conformed to the pattern of the world. Now, remember we said the pattern of the world is an expression that you and I today in our vernacular might use this word secularism. It's just a way of thinking that does not consider God. It is a way of living that does not include God. And so you can get pressed into that kind of way of thinking, into that way of living, where God's just really not a part of your daily life. You do a little touch and go with him on the weekend, and then for the rest of the week, you pretty much cruise without him. And that's being really conformed more into the pattern of the world. It's being conformed more into a life of uh, secularism that does not uh, engage God. And so Paul said, don't do that. Instead, be transformed, he said, by the renewing of your mind. And remember the word transformed uh, is also defined as metamorphosis. That's where that biological, that scientific, incredible thing where the caterpillar goes into the uh, cocoon and emerges from the butterfly. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Transformation is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, I'll go so far as to say it is not actually completed until you and I step into the presence of God. Uh, 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, it does not yet appear what we will be, but we know that when we see him, We will then be like him, for we will see him as he is. So I would tell you, don't pray for perfection, because the only way you will attain it is to be dead and in the presence of God. Just pray God kills you. That's the only way you're going to be perfect. Now, I'm not saying we don't strive to do better and to be better, but you're not going to achieve perfection here on this earth. I don't care who you are from where you've come, you will not be perfected here on this earth. Until we see him, we will not fully be like him. You're going to think wrong, do wrong, speak wrong, go wrong. You're going to do wrong. It just is going to happen. It's easy to do. It's the default settings. That's why he said you and I are in charge of the process of transformation. And so if we're not intentional, 
If we are not proactive, if we don't become large and in charge of our own life, we're going to drift more into what we were instead of what God would have us be. And so we've also been in the series talking to you about measuring that. You know, you can set a goal, but if there's no way to measure the goal, you really don't know where you are. And so there's a way whereby you can measure progress in your life to see if there's any transformation happening. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul uses this expression. He says, look, we are looking as beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He said, with an unveiled face, nothing between God and I, I can look as if I'm looking into a mirror and see the glory of God reflected back at me. Now, remember we said the expression glory of God could be defined as who he is. So if I'm looking into the mirror that is my life, can I see anything of what God is being reflected back at me? Remember transformation, Romans 8, 29 says he's conforming us into the image of his son. Uh, the Imago Dei, God is trying to set us back into the original design to look like him. That's why when we come together collectively, the, body, uh, the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. Well, if we're the body of Christ, shouldn't we look like him? Shouldn't we act like him? Shouldn't we do what he did? And so I'm suggesting to you that there's a way by, whereby you can measure that. And Paul here says, you, you can look at your life as though you're looking into a mirror and see some of the glory of, of God as you are note now being transformed into that same image. And look at the expression, from glory to glory. I would say step by step. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth. I mean, you are moving progressively through your life, level at a time, as God is growing you, perfecting you, improving you. You are becoming less and less like the caterpillar and more and more like the butterfly. And it's a process. We cooperate with him in that. And it can be measured by looking into the mirror that is our life and ask ourselves the question, can we see anything of who God is reflected back at me? Now, let me flesh that out a little more. It also involves understanding part of the characteristics of God that should be reflected are called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. The Bible describes the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is, this is things that ought to be looking back at you and me when we look in the mirror that is our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Would you say you are more loving now than you were a year ago? Or a month ago, or a week ago, or yesterday? <laughs> Can you see any movement in that regard? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, sacrificial, sanctifying, selfless love. Can you see that as a quality of your life? If you can, then it's progress, it's transformation, it's a sign you're going in the right direction. So go you. Uh, the second thing he says is, is joy. Can you see any joy in your life? Now understand joy is different than happiness, remember? Happiness is connected to happenstance. It's where the word originates. My happiness depends on my happenstance, my circumstance. If, you're all, if your externals are good, you're happy. But the Bible says joy is different. Joy doesn't depend on externals, it's internal. You can have a joyful heart and an unhappy life. You can be very unhappy today, but have joy. Um, that's why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled in John 14. He didn't say, let not your life be troubled, remember? You can have a troubled life with an untroubled heart. Um, so he says, this joy is something that I can bring about in your life. So love, joy. Uh, he says, peace, remember? Peace is not the cessation of conflict. Peace in this sense is not the ending of war. Peace is something you can have in the middle of conflict. Peace is something you can have in the middle of adversity. Uh, you can have peace in the middle of, of a storm you may be going through right now. 
Remember, we talk about how sometimes God calms the storm, and sometimes he just calms his child. So you can have peace in the middle of whatever you're going through. Uh, and so peace is something God will give you. It is something that comes from him. So let me ask you, when you go through a hard experience of life, can you identify peace in your heart? Can you look in the mirror that is your life and you can say, you know, I, I shouldn't be, but I'm pretty peaceful about this. I, I should be incredibly you know, joyless, but I have a lot of joy in my heart. So those are qualifiers, those are identifiers that will help you begin to track and mark transformation. So love, joy, peace, then I said last week, patience. What is patience? It's waiting with anticipation. He said in James 5, it's the patience of the farmer. The farmer will plow and plant, and after that it's between God and the crops. So once you've plowed and planted, once you've done everything you can do, it's up to God. And he will bring about patience to the experiences of life. You know he's going to do something you don't know what or when, and yet you wait on him patiently. And then this morning, I want to take the next step, and I want to talk to you a little while about kindness. Kindness. Man, the world, if we need anything in our world right now, along with love, joy, peace, and patience, we need some kindness. <laughs> I heard about a little girl who prayed, oh God, would you make the mean people nice and make the nice people kind? I heard about a guy went in a little cafe at a little country town, and he sat at the table. He was going to order breakfast, and this waitress comes over to him, hands on her hip, real frustrated and agitated that she had to wait on this guy. And she just, what do you want? It's kind of how she looked at it. What do you want? And he says, you know what? I'd like some eggs, and I'd like some kind words. She said, is that it? He goes, that's it. So she turns on the heel, goes back in the kitchen. A little while, she walks back out, drops a plate of greasy eggs in front of him, and said, anything else? He goes, where are those kind words? And she looked at him, she said, I wouldn't eat those eggs. <laughs> so sometimes those kind words come into a different form. But we really need kindness. Our, word, our world really is hungry for kindness. In fact, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter of the Bible, when you look at verse 4, you know what it says? Love is kind. Many ways, kindness is love in action. So let's look at this as Paul describes it in Ephesians 4, and then I'll talk about it and we'll go home. Ephesians 4, look at verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self that's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, your old, that's a reference to your default. We all have a default setting. Um, we all have that old nature. We all have that tendency to be conformed to the pattern of our former life. So he's saying here, here's an action. Put it off. You, this is within your power. You, you actually can do this. You don't have to be that guy. You can be a new person. Put this off. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Remember, it all starts with how you think. Put on the new self, and notice what happens, created to be like God. Now, what did Romans 8, 29 say? Transformation is being transformed in the image of God, Imago Dei. He is making us more and more like him. Well, this is the same thing he's carrying it out in Ephesians 4. He says, this new self is in, note now, true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbors, for we're all members of the same body. He said, we're all part of each other. Um, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about the body, he says, no healthy eye ever looked at its hand and said, I don't have any need for you. Every part is important. Every body matters. And so he's saying here, let's understand we're a part of one another. In your anger, do not sin. 
He didn't say not to be angry. He says, be careful what you do with your anger. For, for he says, or, or let the sun go down while you're still angry. You can work that out. I told me he read that one time, said his wife and I have been awake for two weeks. That's not exactly what that means. That's not what that line, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's not what that means. But anyway, the point is, work it out. And he said, and don't give the devil a foothold. It's interesting. He says that anger actually opens an opportunity for the enemy to exploit you. Unrecognized, unresolved issues in your life allow the enemy a foothold into your heart. No, so no, notice what he says. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but he needs to work. Do something useful with your hands so that you'll have something to share with those in need. And then he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Note, according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And... Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I talk to you from time to time, take a little sidebar here, but I talk to you from time to time about eternal security. How when you connect with your creator, you are eternally secure. And here's another line that just supports that. We are sealed unto the day of redemption, meaning until you're in the presence of God. And he goes on to say, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice and here's the heart of it. Be kind. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And then here's the example, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What a powerful passage that really gives us practical insight to look at how transformation affects our life. When we're putting off the old self and putting on the new self, when we're doing it consciously, then we can see transformation. Remember, it's the renewing of your mind. So here's what this does. Number one, number one, it changes the attitude. Kindness will change the attitude. It begins in the mind. It's a way of thinking. I mean, every significant thing Paul always writes about in the New Testament, or all the writers actually write about in the New Testament, the significant changes of life always begin in the mind. And by the way, the mind is a part of what the Bible calls your heart. In Matthew 22, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what is he talking about when he says heart? Let's just revisit that a moment. It's not referring to the muscle that's pumping blood through our body. That's a heart. But when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's speaking of much more. It's speaking of my uh, intellect, how I think. Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. See, Christianity is reasonable. You can reason with someone about it. It's reasonable. You, you don't check your brain in the car and go into a building and let someone think for you when you go to church. It's reasonable. You can think through it, rationalize about it, reason with it, weigh it out. Uh, and so it involves intellect. Number two, it involves emotion. Your heart involves your emotion. You say, I have a broken heart or my heart is full. So we use those kinds of expressions to describe emotion. So emotion involves my heart. It involves my intellect. It involves my will my will. My heart drives what I do. It's, it comes out of the mind. It's part of it. My intellect, right? Mind, uh, emotion, uh, my will, what I do. That's why when we say to someone, I love you with all my heart, what we're saying to them is with everything that I am, my intellect, emotion, will, with all that I am, I love all that you are. There's no higher way you can express love to someone than to say, I love you with all my heart. That's why he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm saying this begins, this change is from within. Kindness is a heart thing. 
Kindness starts in the heart. It, it starts with a change of attitude. And when you begin to realize that God is trying to wait, ch- listen, change the way I think about him, he's trying to change the way I think about other people, he's trying to change the way I think about myself, and so kindness is a heart issue. It begins there. So it changes the attitude. And notice what happens when the attitude gets changed. It changes the second thing. That's the action. You see, when your attitude is changed, your actions change. And that's where those two expressions, uh, put off, put on, really come in. He says, look, put off. He said, put off lying, anger, bitterness, dishonesty, negative talk, talk that tears people down. You see, when, 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 when the body turns on itself, when Christians turn on themselves and they begin to tear one another down and they talk about each other, it, it does great disservice to what the church is here to do. You see, we're the body of Christ and a skeptical world looks at how we are talking about each other and they evaluate whether we are genuine or we're not. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 35? By this will all people know you are my disciples. What is that? By how straight we are doctrinally? No, he didn't say that though that's important. By what we do to help the poor and the hungry? No, he didn't say that either, though that's important, and we do that too. He said, this will all people know you are my disciples, here it is, if you love each other. It starts there. John went on to say, if, <laughs> if you say you love God and you love your, but you hate your neighbor, how can that be true? He said, how can you love a God that you've never seen and yet not love your neighbor that you see every day. He's just, again, remember, mind, he's being logical here. So I'm saying sometimes, from from time to time, you and I, as Zig used to say, we have to do the checkup from the neck up to see, is my mind genuinely kind? Because it's not being reflected in how I'm treating other people. It's not helping in how I resolve conflict. You see, a, a peaceful mind will bring about kindness, and it will bring about kindness primarily in your home. Boy, if we need kindness, we need it in our home, our attitude and our action toward those even within our households. Someone cynically said, home is where you go when you're tired of being nice to people. (laughs) That's terrible, (laughs) but it's true. I mean, so many times you've dealt with the frustrations of your life and you go home and you take it out on the people who deserve it the, the least and love you the most. So I'm just saying from time to time, we have to hit the pause button on our life and say, am I taking some frustration out on some people that don't deserve this? And I have to check at how I'm thinking. I have to check my heart because that is affecting how I'm acting. And so he says, put these things off. Recognize you have a propensity toward this, a proclivity toward this. We can all do this. We can all go back to that. He says, don't. Instead, put on. And he really makes this simple down verse 32. Put on kindness. Put on compassion or tenderheartedness. Put on forgiveness. Man, that's pretty simple. <laughs> if we just follow those three rules, be kind, be compassionate, tenderhearted, be forgiving. Keep short accounts with each other. You remember what one of the ideas of forgiveness is, is release, let go. If the longer you hold on to something, the more detrimental that something's going to be to your health and well-being. I've told you before, if you make a fist and clench it as tightly as you can, before long, your hand will hurt, your arm will hurt, your shoulder will hurt. (laughs) Before long, your whole body starts aching. Forgiveness is to release. Some things you have to just let go of. Some things you do all you can to resolve it, and at the end of the day, it's beyond your ability to resolve it. You have to release it. I know sometimes people don't release things because they feel like if I let it go, 
then the person I'm angry with will never be held to account. Look, you can't help people, first of all, that don't think they need help. You can't help somebody, second of all, that won't accept the help from you. <laughs> Thirdly, you can't help someone that's not willing to help themselves. So you have to get to that point to realize, I'm not God. That's not my job. I've made the effort. I've gone the second mile, and they're still not receiving it from me, so I got to let it go. I'm holding on to something that I can't hold on to, and that comes from the heart. It brings about an, uh, the attitude, and it brings about the right action. In fact, a church that really did that right was that early church at Jerusalem, that original church that started actually out of the day of Pentecost. By the time you get to Acts chapter 4, the church is being pressured and persecuted. I mean, Caesar is cracking down on the church. Uh, even the Jewish people are signing off on it because they didn't really recognize Jesus as a Messiah. They saw him as a rabbi and a great teacher, but not as the son of God. Remember, that was the accusation the rabbis brought to Pilate when they wanted to put him to death. They said, he blasphemes God. He claims he's God. Pilate said, I don't care. Maybe he is. Romans were polytheists. He said, maybe he is a God. I'll light a candle under him with the rest of them. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not going to cross up with, remember Pilate's wife got upset and said, ooh, don't have anything to do with this just man. She was a little nervous about it. She knew he was a very spiritual leader and he was a God-like man, but they didn't see him. My point is they didn't see him as God. And what the accusations of the Jews backed off of this blasphemy, and then they went after treason against Caesar because he says he's a king. And that gave Pilate heartburn. He says, look, Jesus, loosely translated. But you can, you can, say, you can say you're a god. I'm, I don't care. I don't, maybe you are. I, I, could, I could care less. Here's what you can't say. You can't say you're a king. There's no one higher than Caesar. When you claim to be a leader like that, we got a, we got a problem. And Jesus was put to death. Remember the inscription over the cross says, here's Jesus, king of the Jews. Why did Pilate put that? That was the legal justification for executing Jesus by crucifixion was treason against Caesar. What's my point? My point is all of this stuff was going around and they didn't recognize this new breed of people called Christ followers um, following the way. They, they, didn't, they, they, they thought they were a cult. I mean, they were saying these guys eat flesh and drink blood. They were talking about communion, right? And they were going, they're, they're, cra they're crazy. We can't have, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta deal with these people. And so what the, the Jewish people did, the business people is, if you followed after Christ, you would be de-synagogue. They'd put you out of the synagogue. And when you were not uh, participating in the synagogue, you couldn't buy, sell, or trade with other business people. So you can imagine what was going on. You couldn't gas the chariot <laughs> or the horse. You couldn't, you couldn't buy food. People wouldn't deal, do business with you. So what they did out of the pressure of, of the church, it, it drove them together. It, it, it bonded them. The, the problems actually bonded them. And so now they're finding a way by Acts 4. I'm, I hadn't forgotten where I was going. By Acts 4, they found a way to work through this. And here's the dynamic that they discovered. It's called koinonia in the Greek, koinonia. It means they had all things common. They shared things in common. Now, that's not a biblical case for socialism. I've seen people who will find that tooth and go try to build a dinosaur. <laughs> so don't, don't do that. It, it is, uh, socialism is what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Koinonia is what's mine is yours, I'll share it. You see the difference? 
So this was the sharing, not the taking of resources. This was the willful uh, individual expression of giving resources, not a government agency taking them from someone to give to someone else. You see the difference. So in this case, these people were hurting. Here's what that looked like. One guy would say, you know what? My neighbor's hurting. I'll do what I can to help him. My friend is hurting. I'll do, I can't do everything, but I can do something. So here's the dynamic. They just did what they could. They did what they could. Everybody just did what they could. And the church began to take care of each other. Koinonia, all things common. It, there's two levels of koinonia. One is to share something with someone. That's when you say, hey man, pray for me. I got a big week. I got a big business deal. Pray, pray for me. Just, if you think about me, pray for me. Pray for my loved one or whatever. So that's the level. That's sharing with someone. Here, here's a different level. Sharing in something with someone. That's where you are willing to go into a, a fire. You're willing to go into a valley. You're willing to go into a heartbreaking experience and walk alongside of someone who are going through that. That's a different level of koinonia. And yet the, both of those things are indicated in the early church. When I think about that, one of my favorite stories, I shared this not long ago, was after the, the, the hurricane had hit the Gulf Coast and this man would take his morning walks and he was walking down the coast and here are thousands and thousands of these starfish that had washed up on the beach as a result of the storm. And you see him out there as he's throwing those starfish back into the ocean, into the surf. A friend of his who normally walked with him saw what he was doing and he walked up and said, man, what are you doing? He said, I'm saving starfish. He said, there are thousands of starfish. You can't save them all. What difference does it make? And he held one of them in his hand and says, it makes a big difference to this one. What's my point? We can't save everybody. We can't do for everyone. We're a limited resource. God doesn't even expect us to do that. Here's, you know what he expects us to do? What we can. God will never hold someone to account for something they can't do. You go over there and grab one of those kids out of the children's thing and say, hey, why don't you come here and play guitar? Why do you play the drums? They can't even hit the pedals. And you go, well, what, a, what a kind of kid are you? <laughs> Who's your parents? No, you wouldn't expect it. It'd be ridiculous. You'd say, I'm expecting them to do something they're not yet capable of achieving. What's my point? My point is your heavenly father loves you as much as we love our kids and the expectation of him. Here's where I think God is with us. I think he's happy if we get anything right. <laughs> I think the bar is that low. I think he looks down out of heaven and just goes, they didn't cuss. That's woo, you, you. Honestly, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't think the bar is that high. Now, you and I set the bar pretty high on each other. We criticize and complain. He doesn't have that. He understands it. Remember what David said? He remembers my frame that I'm dust. He doesn't have a lot of expectation out of some dust. So my point is we, we cut each other slack. It's being forgiving. It's being compassionate. It's being kind. It makes a difference to someone. Here's the last one, and we'll go home. What affects your attitude and your actions ultimately affect the atmosphere. Did you know you can change the atmosphere of your home with kindness? You can change the atmosphere of your business with kindness. You can change the atmosphere of every relationship you're in with kindness. Bring that to the table. You know, you've heard this before, perhaps. There are two kinds of people. There are, there are um, thermometers. People who are like the, a thermometer, where they register atmosphere, they'll tell you what the atmosphere is. And there are people who are like thermostats, they regulate atmosphere. They can change the atmosphere. 
be the thermostat. <laughs> be the person who can quieten a, a situation when it gets tense or difficult. It's not denying that this is, needs to be confronted, but find the right time, find the right tone, find the right turf, and fix the problem. Regulate it. Regulate it. You see, if I go in there right now, I'm not going to throw more gas on this fire. You know, sometimes when people go back to those old, they'll, 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 they'll talk and trash and smack and they pull people down and they, they remind me of little arsonists running around just starting little fires. And you're trying to, you're trying to do something productive and you've got to go around stomping out these little fires that these little arsonists start. Be the thermostat. Change the atmosphere. Go the second mile. Let me give you this and we'll go home. That's the second time I said that, so you know, honest to God, I'm really closing. I heard about a group of neighbors that were upset with a, a, a neighbor because of the condition of this neighbor's yard. Grass is growing, it's out of control. Flower beds were out of control. So the neighbors got together and said, what's going on, man? That, I mean, we keep our yards and this is going to affect our property value. Something needs to be done, something needs to be said. And one of them says, you know what, I'm not a confrontational person. I just think we turn over the HOA and let them handle them. They'll send them that letter and, you know, and they'll, they'll deal with it. We don't have to deal with it. And one of the neighbors says, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go over there and see what's going on. They knocked on the door. The lady comes to the door. Come to find out her husband was dying of cancer. He had been taking care of the yard. That was his thing. But he had been sick for so long. She was not able to take care of their yard. Her whole world revolved around him as it should. And the neighbor went back over and told those neighbors that were so upset what was going on, and guess what they did? There wasn't a letter to the HOA. They mowed that yard, took care of those flower beds, bought groceries, ran errands, checked on that neighbor every day. What can we do to help you? Koinonia, kindness. It changes the atmosphere. You never know whose life you may make better or what difference you may make with that one little starfish you pick up and say, I can't save them all, but I'll make a difference with this one. Shouldn't we as a church lead with kindness? Cut each other some slack. Not let the first thing we think be the worst thing about this person. To realize maybe there's something behind here that's causing that action, and so maybe I'll go the second mile with them before I just go grab them and run under the house with them or go Old Testament on them, you know. I'm going to be kind. What a difference it would make. I want to be that kind of church. I don't want to see the worst in someone. You know, and again, you can't go around stomping out every little fire out there. But the reality of it is, if you've been connected with this ministry very long, I think you know that's the heart of what we do. We don't do it. You know why our church isn't perfect? You ready for this? We don't have a perfect pastor. <laughs> I've been doing this. I've been in ministry. Do you realize I've been in ministry for 45 years this year? I, I, well, thank you. But I appreciate that. What, what I was going to say is I should have been better at it by now. <laughs> but the point is, I, I, I think I know my heart. And I think when I look into the mirror, what I hope I see looking back at me is some kindness toward people who are hurting and sometimes people who really don't deserve it. But I'm saying, folks, it's not rocket science. It's just leaving here saying, I'm going to be kind to somebody. I want to try to make their life better. I'm going to try to do something for that starfish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that never returns void. 
It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And I pray, Father, we'll take something away from the message that will help us identify some transformation, help us to be more loving to each other, more tender-hearted and compassionate, more kind, more forgiving. Help us to realize that we're going to be in heaven with a lot of people that many of us won't even speak to down here. <laughs> so help us to lighten up, loosen up, and realize life's too short to carry bitter grudges and anger toward other people. So let's just don't do it. Father, I just pray you'll change our minds, our actions, and help us to change the atmosphere of the world that we live in. Finally, Lord, I pray for those who may never have trusted you as Savior. I pray you'll give them the courage in this moment to say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.